Welcome to Comedy Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Kate Siegel. I'm Nikki Urban, and our guest today is Candace Martellero. Uh, Candace is a writer, a comedy writer, uh, and a producer, and filmmaker, and performer, and stand-up comedian. <laughs> like so many of our guests, uh, Candace has her hands in a lot of things, including uh, she is a producer of Hanging with Dr. C, starring Dana Gould. Um, Candace, thank you for coming on the show today thank you for having me <laughs> yeah i mean like nikki said thank you so much for being here your your list of credits is like just crazy impressive and so diverse like from the roles that you take like producing directing working on set writing acting like nikki said you've got your hands in so many pots i am just interested i'm so interested to learn like you know what 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 you like doing the most what what really gets you going what where you see yourself heading with all your work and i'm i'm super stoked to have you here oh well thank you that's so flattering a much uh much appreciated ego boost <laughs> <laughs> we all need those we do yeah. But that's why we're here. We're here because we have crushes on uh, comedians and we get to talk to them like you. And we like, you know, I've, I've, uh, this is part of a sort of series of uh, people from Femba PhD. Uh, Femba PhD is end, uh, ending, right? Uh, uh, so in these couple of weeks here, we're interviewing. What? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Candace, uh, hate to break it to you, but. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Candace and I were, uh, also on Fembot PhD together and it, uh, it was like, I, ha I had so much fun working with you on that show. Yeah. Likewise. It was, it was the first time for me to really play off other women on stage. It was just, I don't know. It's one of those things like sometimes I look back and think that really happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm so grateful that that I got to know you, got to meet you, and got to be friends with you. And now we're uh, now we're neighbors. It's great. Currently recording like literally on top of each other. Yes, uh, we're on the same Wi-Fi network. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By that, I, maybe I'm not supposed to tell the the man this, uh -huh. but I'm I'm using Nikki's Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> But I pay for that good, good Wi-Fi, so. You got to share that around. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's so funny when, before I moved here in my old apartment where I had my own Wi-Fi that I was paying for in my apartment, I, this Wi-Fi is better. Like, it's faster. I never have a problem with it. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, weird. Hmm. Yeah. Tell me how that works. Yeah. Uh, well, it's great sharing Wi-Fi with you and the creative space. <laughs> um, so uh, did you, uh, how did you, you, you started out as wanting to be a writer. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, what, um, tell us about your, your, like your childhood. What was your, uh, where did you grow up? What were your parents like? I know this stuff, but our listeners should know. <laughs> hey, um, I had a very unusual upbringing. I'm I'm from I t I say Boulder, Colorado. I'm really from Westminster, Colorado. When I was little, I lived in Lafayette. All these things are just like neighborhoods outside of Boulder. But my parents, they dated and then they broke up, and then they had a night with a lot of vodka. And it's weird that I know this. <laughs> and 
I think they may have tried to make a relationship work when I was like little, little, but very quickly learned they weren't compatible that way. So they just became platonic best friends. And when I was nine, my dad just moved across the street from us, like moved out, moved across the street, but he'd still come over for dinner every night and like fix things around the house on the weekends and stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, it was a very um, unusual upbringing. And to me, it was like normal. I had a lot of stability. It felt very normal, but I'd go over to like sleepovers and like parents, friends, parents would like interrogate me about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Interesting. So your friend's parents were like, wait, how does that work? How, uh, what's going on over there? <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't fault them for. I would be doing the same thing. Right. right. But yeah, it was like, wait, what? And they're like, do they fight? Do they, how does this work? You know, and stuff. So yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of polite interrogation. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Did that, like, having to answer those questions, did that sort of force you to think about your parents' relationship? Like, did that, like, in a way that you maybe hadn't? Um. Yeah, I mean, it definitely made me aware that, like, something was different of, like, yeah. is not normal, like, this isn't typical. Yeah. Um, but it really wasn't until I was, like, in college <laughs> that I realized, like, how unusual that was. Oh, wow. And what was it, like, was it just, like, meeting other people in college and telling them about your parents and them being like, what? <laughs> no, I think <laughs> like a maturity thing of just like having an understanding of like oh the nor the socially acceptable household is where either the parents are together or they're divorced it's one or the other this weird right. middle ground is not so typical but now it's kind of interesting because when I was growing up it was so unusual where now I feel like that's kind of normal like I know yeah. more than one divorced couple that have similar dynamics where they're still very close the dad is still very much in the picture. Like it's very typical. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of how it is for for me and my ex-husband and our dog. <laughs> I'm always comparing baby baby scenarios to dog scenarios. <laughs> no, that's not that far of a stretch though. Like, you know, Justin comes over and you guys hang out and you know, he takes Hank when he does. It's it's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so parents, but your parents were pretty supportive of you oh, and like. Extremely, like extremely so. If I had any like remote interest in anything, my mom would like invest everything she had into it. Uh, when I was in like middle school, high school, I thought I wanted to be an actor. So I was in every acting class that she could find locally. Um, you know, she'd send me out for auditions for community theater and things like that. So yeah, extremely supportive. When did you uh, decide you wanted to be a writer? That was probably after about a year of living in LA, which would have been in 2013. Oh, okay. So after you graduated college and came out here. I mean, it's tricky because I, so I went to, so backing up when you were asking about my parents being really supportive, my parents my mom went, like, took a risk and just spent my entire college fund, which wasn't very much, to send me to this um, New York Film Academy high school workshop in Disney World. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. I was in your hometown, Nikki. Um, <laughs> I lived in Orlando for like a month. Wait, um, when? Do you remember when? Yeah, I was, uh, I was 17. So that would have been 2006. 
That is wild. Oh my God, Ashley, do you think I know somebody who might have known you? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> sorry. So, okay, a New York Film Academy that like changed my life. It was like the, it's to date the happiest I've ever been, the best experience oh. I've ever had. I came back and I was like, I want to direct. Like I was just, everything from then on out was all about directing. That's all I wanted to do was direct. And um, so I went to film school. I went to CU Boulder and um, I took, they had one screenwriting class. I took that. I love that. So I did like writing and I did want to write and direct was my goal. And then when I got to LA, it sort of shifted into like, actually, I want to be a showrunner. Oh, I like directing and I still want to do it, but I show running is what I want to do. How did you learn that that was what you're, you wanted to do? Um, because that is sort of like a specific, uh, and I think to people outside of LA, they may not even know that that role exists or what it does. Like, how did you kind of find that that was what you were interested in doing? I, I think it was literally just watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> Like of like I'd go to movies, I'd watch TV and I was like, you know, I movies, I love them, but TV is where I'm having fun. And at that time it was like 30 Rock, Parks and Rec, um, community shows like that were like the thing that made me the happiest. And so I was like, Well, I I wanna do that. I wanna work in this world, overseeing the whole whole show, the whole se- I want sort of my fingers and everything. So um and then where it really locked in was when I became a showrunner's assistant on a show and looking at what he was doing and stuff. I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. And what show was that? (laughs) I was a showrunner's assistant on Stand Against Evil. It was on IFC. It can now be found on Hulu um, by Dana Gould. And uh, who's a friend of Fembot PhD. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we like, we like, Um, we like us some Dana Gould. But it was, yeah, he's a good egg, as he says. Um, I mean, he says the good egg phrase, not that he's one. Um, I just want you to know I'm a good egg. <laughs> I, I can actually see him saying that. <laughs> yeah, I can too. But no, he, it was like a master class because he, every showrunner's assistant has a different experience because it just depends on what the showrunner wants or what mm-hmm. they need. And he was definitely stepped into like the mentor category right away and would let me oversee everything he was doing. So from pre-production to being on set to post-production, he let me sit in the edit bay with him and just watch everything he was doing and let me have input here and there and very, very so, helpful. So how, did, what, so how did you get to that point, right? Because that's like a pretty coveted position and to be a showrunner's assistant. Um, how, did you, how did you get to that, that point? So like, I guess let's, let's start at the beginning. Yeah, so... Um, so I graduated college, I moved out to LA and I was mm-hmm. taking every like, just like crappy job, you know, you name it just to get by. And then I started taking writing classes at UCB and was kind of going that route. And, um, and I had the one screenwriting class from college and stuff too. And then I just started spending all my downtime at the uh, Writers Guild Foundation Library. And I learned mm. how to do coverage. I went to a bunch of their like panels with showrunners and things like that. And that, I think really that's where it kind of locked in first of like, oh, I want what they're talking about. That's what I want to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it was at one of those panels that I first learned about coverage, doing coverage of scripts, which is the most boring thing I, I almost don't even want to get into it because it's so boring 
it's just writing down like every single thing in a script until you figure out patterns that exist within each series. So I started going to the Writers Guild Foundation Library and I would just spend like an hour on like a Thursday night just doing coverage every Thursday. It was like the time that they were open late so I could go after work and fit that one little hour in. So I started doing that until I understood enough where I was like, I can, um, I didn't have the money to take a pilot class. So I was like, I can just cobble this together and figure out how to write my own pilots and write some specs. So I did that. And then <laughs> this was just sort of like dumb luck. I went to Synespia, which is um, for anyone listening that doesn't know, um, it's movies outside. It's usually in, in LA, it's typically at a cemetery called the um, LA Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Um, and I bumped into an old friend from college and his fiance happened to work at Three Arts. She was an assistant to Dave Becky at the time. And um, she was like, just joking was like, or no, I thought she was joking. Turns out she wasn't joking. It was like, send me a <laughs> sometime. And I was stupid for thinking she was joking. So I was like, ha, yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he luckily saw past my own stupidity and followed up with me like a week later. He's like, Izzy was furious. She really wants to see what you wrote. So I sent her one of my pilots and a sketch packet. And um, from there, she met with me, kind of laid out what like hip pocketing is, which is like representing you secretly for different reasons in her case because she wasn't a manager yet but was on the manager track um and then sure enough she became a manager in a couple years at brill scene and she took me with her and she was my manager and through her i got it word went out through three arts that dana gould needed an assistant for a show she passed my resume through i got an interview got lucky that he seemed to like my energy and personality and uh, he hired me, and that's how I got that position. Wow. Yeah. That's Very. like, like, yeah, like, that's so cool. And that's, it, that's sort of almost exactly how you hear that it, it works, where it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I knew this. I had this friend from here, and then they're, you know, they're dating this person. They told me to send something, and, like, you think it's going to be a And then you really fucking did it. And, <laughs> like, like, but that's... I, I don't know. I think that's such a good example of like how important it is to take those opportunities and like, and take it seriously. <laughs> like I think about, there's like several opportunities that I look back at that I'm like, oh man, I wish that I had taken that seriously. Cause who knows what that would have led to, but oh well, it didn't. And also just like, I was listening to you describe, like you were so self-motivated, right? You were yes. taking yourself to the w WGA library and you were teaching yourself how to write scripts through example. And like, so when the time came, right? This is always my favorite parts of these stories, right? When the time came, you had something to show for it, which is like that it's, you know, it's like the connections like we're talking about, like those are necessary, but also like doing the work is like, that's the first step and it's, I, I got kind of goosebumps when you were describing it. I was like, oh, that's somebody who was like fucking doing the work like right out the gate. And it's so lovely to hear that. Thank you. But yeah, I was I was so stupid, though. And she was like, send me your work. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh -oh. But that that's so cool, because like now you that has led you down this other path where, you know, you are very like you're friends with 
Dana, who's been like this mentor to you. And so you've now gotten to be his assistant on the show. And then he had you write an episode uh, and act in it. (laughs) Just like the funniest thing. I love that you had to like, you have to like bite him. And it's like adorable. That's a, that's a fun story I can share. Yeah. It, uh, okay, so Stanigan's Evil stars John C. McGinley, who is in, um, you know him from Scrubs as Dr. Cox, most likely, but he's an actor with a lot of credits. And he's very, very focused. He takes what he does very seriously. And um, so we're shooting the episode that I wrote, and there's a scene, it, it, the whole thing revolves around vampires. And there's a scene where uh, Dana has a character on the show, and his character gets bit by a vampire. And I don't think he, Dana, nor I thought about how awkward it would be. Dana asked if I wanted to do it just to have a cameo. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And they like custom fitted vampire teeth to my face. Like I had to go to a place where they took a mold of my mouth and a whole thing. And the day that we're shooting and I turned into like a child where it was like, oh, it's my body bite his neck this is weird and I got like so uncomfortable and I wasn't it was just visibly I was not doing well at this and I knew I wasn't I didn't know what to do to fix it we're we're shooting on a super tight schedule so it's not like there's really time for the director to like pull me aside and give me an acting lesson and I see John C. McGinley not even in that scene uh he was just happened to be there watching I see him get up from his chair and I know he's coming to talk to me and I was like oh no I'm fucking up the show I uh I, I literally thought, like, maybe I'll just run. Maybe I'll just run away. <laughs> <laughs> he came over, and it was the polar opposite. He <laughs> he was immediately like, hey, I, I completely understand why you're uncomfortable. And he, like, laid it out. He's like, you have a professional working relationship with Dana. This is a new position to suddenly be in. I get it. But he's like, if you don't pull it together, you're going to mess up this show. And um, he's like, let's walk through it, the two of us. So he had me do the scene with him a couple of times. So I'd stop being so uncomfortable and so awkward. And then it turned out as well as it could. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. That's like, that's like kind of sweet. Yeah. Sweetheart. Well, I mean, you know. That's a very, it's both yeah. sweet and very funny story. Like the idea, I can just totally picture you being like, what's the worst that could happen if I just left? If I just ran away, they would just have to do it without me, right? <laughs> I told Dana about it later that night. But I was like, when I saw him got up, I thought maybe I'll just run. And Dana like, I would have liked to see that because he would have <laughs> like it would. <laughs> You're not getting out of biting your boss cans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, no John C always really impressed me of like if there was anyone on the show that knew absolutely every detail of the show every little nook and cranny in and out it was him like he was like Mm. a savant of that show it was really yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) he gives off that vibe I don't know what it is about him but he gives off the vibe of somebody who's like on top of shit yeah he very much is yeah 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 uh and same as you bringing it back to you i don't want to talk about that guy I want to talk about you. <laughs> um so so that's cool so you um uh how 
so you also do stand-up comedy and when did you decide to start getting into stand-up well it's so funny i i never thought i would do stand-up ever i (laughs) i was taking sketch classes and i was trying to write these pilots and i realized like i'm good at coming up with story premises and i'm good at coming up with situations that are funny but I was struggling at writing jokes, which mm. is like the most crucial thing if you're going to write comedy. <laughs> yeah. And so I just was like, I got to get over whatever stage fright. Because at that time, I didn't perform. I didn't even perform yeah. in college. Um, I was like, you have to just get over whatever this stage fright is. And you got to start doing stand up because you have to learn how to write jokes. You have to know how to write a proper joke. And you're never going to really know how to do it. I mean, that this doesn't apply to everybody. But for me, I knew you're never going to really master this unless you do some stand-up. So mm-hmm. I started doing it. And I still do it at about the same rate I started, which is like, I'm not, um, I don't really consider myself a stand-up. I'm like a person that goes to open mics and gives it my best. Though <laughs> <laughs> so you have been booked. I have, yeah. I've gotten paid one time to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should stop looking at it that way, but Yeah. <laughs> Do you enjoy doing stand-up or is it still something that you kind of have to, when you go to open mics, when you go to perform, do you still have to kind of like build yourself up and work yourself up to that? I mean, it depends on the mic for sure. I'm sure any stand-up would think that. I mean, you can attest, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it depends on the mic. And then I think it, it really just depends on my mental state as well. I think a lot of times. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, I, I do like, stand-up as a whole though I do actually really like it it's um I, Tina Fey actually talked about the fact that like when you do stand-up and you get a laugh it's yours like there's yeah. no one else you wrote it you performed it it's a hundred percent yours so there is something very much to that and it's it's a really good feeling when you know you've won the room over and like oh they're they're getting what I'm doing and they're, they're on board like it's a fun feeling sometimes it can be fun when you don't win the room over too I've had that where it's like they hate me and I'm just gonna lean into that (laughs) yeah if you can learn how to lean into that I think you can also change their minds to some degree right yeah humans are like animals we can smell fear so (laughs) it's like when you're on stage and you betray like oh I know you don't like me and that terrifies me it will it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy right but if you can be like I know you don't like me and I think that's awesome people are like oh wait what (laughs) But I forget who said that my boyfriend is a stand-up and he's actually a successful stand-up. Um, not an open micer like me. Um, but uh, he he was quoting someone the other day, but basically saying that like if the audience senses your friend, I think it was Patton Oswald actually now that I think about it, but of basically if the audience knows that you're scared, they're put off. It's like it, it, they pick up on that nervous energy and they don't like it. And then um, you're going to have a terrible set from there. Yeah. I think as it makes people nervous, right? They're like, oh, you're nervous for yourself. I guess I should be nervous for you. Uh, This is not going to be good. You you are giving me indications this is not going to be good, right? I don't know. I think it's. No, I think you're right. I remember uh, Dana one time was, um, he would, he always does this thing. It's very gracious. He did it for FemBot too, where um, if I have a pitch meeting coming up, he'll coach me through my pitch. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember the very first time I did it, I had like this very rehearsed, very like calculated thing and he shut it down right away. He's like, don't do that. 
if you do that, you're going to get nervous. And he's like, and here's the thing about being nervous. It's contagious. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. nervous. Everyone around you is going to go, oh, she's nervous. I'm nervous too. I don't like this. And you're not going to win that person over. Yeah. That's, uh, that is very, very good advice. Like we've, we've heard a lot of advice recently, like, you know, like fake it till you make it. And I think there's like a, a psychology, like, uh, it's, it's not manipulation, it's influence, uh, where you influence people into, uh, into feeling more confident by your own confidence. So the, the more, <laughs> the more you go into and just like pretend, Hey, I'm good at this, like, and I'm fun and I'm cool to work with like that helps and sounds like that really helped you well it's funny going back to the showrunner's assistant thing and how I got that job um when I came in and it's so funny because now that I know Dana I know this isn't what he was doing but he shamelessly had four resumes out on the table when I walked in there was mine and three others just out in plain sight (laughs) (laughs) I thought I thought for sure, like, oh, this is like a weird power move, like, the, like a demonstration oh of power. Like, I, I uh. thought for sure. now that I know him, I'm like, oh, no, he's just scattered and didn't think. The whole reason he was an assistant in the first place is because it just didn't dawn on him of like, and I remember him trying to find which one was mine, like it was a thing. But, um, but. <laughs> time though I snuffed some glances at the other resumes on the table I was hands down the least qualified for that job like without a doubt there were lots of people lots of people there were three other people that had um assistant experience like I think there was one person that was from an agency I think it's okay that I'm sharing this um (laughs) and uh I had none I had never worked as an assistant a personal or executive assistant before and it, I think it was something to the effect of like, I don't, I just came into the interview very much like, well, here I am, I'm me. Like, you know, <laughs> I think there's something to that though. We end up talking more about like TV shows and like our opinions on different networks and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I think he looked at it like, I have to spend most of my time with this person. I want someone I get along with and she is who she is. Yeah. 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 You are, you are very easy to get along with. Um, like genuinely, <laughs> like that's like, uh, and, and it's, I mean, that's like, that's an, for sure an asset. Like, uh, well, cause you're like, I don't know, you're delightful and you're fun. You're interested. You can keep a conversation going and like, you're very smart and you know a lot about, um, you know, a lot about the industry. So, uh, so it's cool. Like, I love that you're like somebody that I can be like uh, nerd out over like Stephen Stephen Weber's reading of <laughs> it Stephen King's it's audiobook like so good yeah. and then you have all and then you have all of these like this information and these facts about this like actor that's like oh wow that's really cool because you're really passionate about it so it's like <laughs> yeah that makes like that makes all the sense in the world that somebody would choose you over somebody who maybe has more experience because you're proving that you are very passionate about it you know what you're talking about and that you have opinions and you're not afraid to share them that's cool well and I think a big part of it too is also just like be yourself like don't be who you are it's you know I've had the opposite I I had interviewed for a couple assistant positions there were other people where it was they were kind of direct of like we don't really vibe Um, yeah (laughs) and that's fine too you know 
Yeah. How many, how many other assistant positions did you? There was just one and I won't say who it was okay. for. They're genuinely a really, really sweet, sweet person. And they didn't quite say we didn't vibe. It's just, I wasn't what they were looking for. They wanted the assistant that was really had a ton of experience and loves being an assistant, isn't looking for anything more than that. And that wasn't me. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, that's fair, right? You're like, you're, you're in this to become a showrunner, right? So. <laughs> but it's tricky because a lot of times you're told name of the game when you're, especially if you're in the assistant world, a lot of times you're told, don't tell anybody that you have goals or you won't get the job. Oh. I did interview for just like a copywriting position at CAA and they looked at my resume and they were like, oh, so you like are a comedy writer though. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I also do comedy writing. And they were like, so is that like what you want to do? And I remember having this moment of like, I could lie, but I was like, yeah, I think definitely it is. And I didn't get the job. Um, but as I was leaving, they were like, well, I could tell they weren't going to give me the job because as I was leaving, they were like, maybe someday we'll represent you. (laughs) I was like, like, oh, okay. I just shot myself in the foot by admitting I have dreams. (laughs) There's a lot of positions like that. And being a showrunner's assistant, it's sort of a 50-50 gamble. There's like Mm -hmm. some showrunners like Dana that are like, great. I'd love to, like, I think I can share this. Um, I interviewed to be Chrissy Teigen's assistant at Mm -hmm. one point. And um, I didn't interview with her. I interviewed with her current assistant at the time. And um, they were very open of like, we want someone we can build up. Like that's specifically what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I actually didn't want to, my goals didn't align with what her company was doing. Mm -hmm. So they were like, well, you've got goals, but they don't align with what we want to build someone within this company to do. So I didn't get that job, but it was the opposite. It was like, no, we want you to want to have bigger, you know, ambitions in a future, but it just doesn't align with what we're doing. That's very cool though, that, that like, uh, there are people who are hiring for those positions to build people up and not just keep them there. Cause I, that when I was doing name of the game, I was like, I'm just happy being an assistant. I'm really good at it. And, that, that, and they finally cut through. I remember the assistant finally asked me, she goes, no, what do you want to do, though? Like, she was very <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay, I can be honest. And Yeah. Yeah, because that, that services everybody better, ultimately. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because it, it served you well. <laughs> it, did. it did. I mean, I think it depends. If you're in a spot where you're just desperate and need a job and they tell you that and you just got to get the job, then do what you got to do. It's a survival. Right. But I think if you're looking at it like this could be a career thing, just to be honest, because either it yeah. won't be a career thing and you're saving yourself years of heartbreak or it will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as far as like stand up goes, stand up. So stand up's just like a tool. It's not necessarily a passion, but it's a tool that you're using to build your craft. Yes. Is that are there other um, performance mediums or writing mediums that you use in the same way? I mean, Nikki and I met doing sketch comedy, and mm-hmm. I actually I think that plays more directly into my like longer form writing than stand up even does. And that it's so funny. I actually I was talking with someone recently and they asked like which do you prefer better when you get a big laugh doing stand up or when you get a big laugh doing sketch. And even though I just quoted Tina Fey about the thing of when you do stand up it's yours, I actually prefer sketch because I like that it's a shared 
moment. Like I like, I love that feeling of getting a big laugh and looking at someone on stage and sharing that moment together. Yeah. 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 Ditto. (laughs) I love it. uh, When you also laugh, like I, I almost love sketch for when other people get the big laugh and I get to just be on stage and try to keep it together. (laughs) Yes. 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 Uh, because sketch is magical because you get laughs but you also get to watch other people get laughs and there's something very cool about that to me yeah yes that's actually a really good way like some of my favorite memories had nothing to do with anything I wrote or what I was doing I just happened to be on stage while someone oh else my God. was having a moment oh for me I I think all the time about uh about the handmade the handmade tale sketch that you wrote about like the the commander having like a weird penis and what's not what's like it's not so much like so I played the handmaid and Jessica who we had on last week's episode wink um Jessica played like this commander and like what looked so ridiculous in like this underwear and this beard and this hair and like had like a neck beard on and was just like so like funny looking that I was laughing. Sorry, well, I'm a terrible storyteller because I'm like sure this <laughs> in my mind, looking straight forward and like the audience is there and just like looking at Jessica with like like no pants on and this like neck beard and is like what's so funny like. <laughs> oh, what's so funny? <laughs> like, <laughs> and it was so funny. I what I love about that is that was not the funny like thing on paper. Like, she no, made that funny. Like, what? Yes. Like that wasn't where the joke was on the page. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> so, the funny thing about the sketch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that part in sketch when like. Oh, this is like a funny sketch, but then just somebody's performance really like takes it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or just like adds this little like flavor to it. It's so fun to see. Like when when we're doing bagel BBs and you start crying, <laughs> that makes me laugh like every time when I'm like, break, like, no. <laughs> we're, we, we, the sketch was like a parody of my favorite murder, but it's like these two women that just love bagels. And so they have a whole sketch called My Favorite Bagels. And it turns out like they hate each other, but as that like reveal is revealed, they start crying. <laughs> but I remember like the first time we ever did it, I like something had happened that day where I was upset and I think I actually started crying. <laughs> 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 In the moment it was like, I can let my feelings out right here. <laughs> <laughs> Acting is amazing. Getting to like mm-hmm. being able to use that and be like, you know what? This is the perfect time. <laughs> I can have a cry in private. I can do it in front of all these people. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's it was um it was really it was really fun playing with you on on Fembot. and I'm I'm glad we still get to like we still get to like shoot sketches and stuff like that. But uh, now it's just sort of like okay, that chapter that chapter is over we're all sort of like moving on into our own ways um I'm glad that we can still do shit together yeah me too I'm excited for to see as different um comedy theaters are coming back 
slowly. Yes. <laughs> getting that opportunity back to perform with. I, I kind of just decided when Fembot ended in my head, I kind of just made a running list of like, these are women, specifically women, I want to collaborate with in the future. So I'm like, I don't know in what form or what will happen, but I know I want to do some form of sketch comedy with these people. And I made like a running list and I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I know you're working towards becoming a showrunner. You've talked a little bit about that, but like what is uh something that you haven't done yet or gotten the opportunity to do that you're like working towards or really looking forward to doing at some point oh that's a really good question I think being actually staffed on a show (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, I mean uh Stand Against Evil they they hired their writers freelance so we weren't we didn't technically have a writing staff we just had writers and I think just I'd love I'm I've always dreamed about and I'm looking forward to that experience of um going into the room every day, you know, mm-hmm. having the PA go get you lunch. And, um, that's the biggest thing. I just want a PA to get me lunch. No. Um, <laughs> just, um, just, you know, being able to, I guess, be silly and um, come up with ideas and get paid to do it in a room full of like, like-minded people. Is there an existing show that you would love to be staffed on? Or if not an existing show, like what's like a past show that you're like, oh, I wish I could have worked on that. Oh, there are so, so many. One, I've actually, <laughs> this will show you how nuts I am. I There's a show coming out that hasn't even aired yet. Just based off the trailer, I'm excited, called Kevin Can F Himself. Oh. I, have you guys heard of this? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Okay, it's with Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek. And basically, she is a wife in a sitcom. And it's very, they're very directly doing sort of a parody of King of Queens. Mm -hmm. But she becomes like self-aware that she's the wife in this sitcom where she's like the hot, attractive woman with kind of the slob. Slubby. Yeah, the husband. And she starts like rebelling throughout the show. But it's like this really dark, very violent. It looks potentially kind of gory show um so that I, I got so excited when I saw the trailer for that that I immediately got an IMDb pro and I tracked down the creator's information found out who her agent was emailed like cold emailed her agent being like if there's a season two of this show I want to write on this and I send you my information and the back but um, okay. <laughs> but uh, that's that's amazing though you're just like I'm gonna go find this information that's out there on imdb pro so it's accessible and you just go and do it you just cold email these people and you'd be surprised it's like a 50 50 shot i've gotten over uh covid i just started cold emailing people for generals i got a bunch and like what's the worst that's gonna happen right they're gonna say no but you're not gonna get like like nobody's gonna like be like oh don't ever hire this person they cold emailed me like that's you know what i mean yeah they're gonna delete your email is what yeah and don't like right. I'm not advocating like harassing people either. No. Like, try once, maybe twice at most. And then, yeah. Yeah. You get the memo. Um Yeah. 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 That's smart. Um uh do you have any advice for, for people who are starting out or who are pursuing this? Don't be an asshole. This is <laughs> um <laughs> it, it is I'm not kidding though. Every when I moved here, every panel I went to, that was always the advice they gave. And I'm always shocked that, like, up-and-coming people sometimes don't get that. Yeah. And, like, specifically, I have an ex-boyfriend that comes to mind. 
first of like that. <laughs> he would openly say that was his goal when he moved to LA is that he wanted to be an asshole. Wow. How did that work out for him? So far as I know, last I heard was like a bartender. So, and not much else. So, yeah. Which is like, you know, that's fine. Sometimes, it, you know, you got to be a bartender, but also asshole. I'm not the one like just deciding he's an asshole. Like that was his goal. He said outright, yeah. "I my plan is to be an asshole." So, like, yeah. what did he? Did he have a step two? <laughs> what was the step <laughs> two of this plan? <laughs> I think that that might have been where it was partially flawed. Um, <laughs> but that's my biggest advice is because, like, at the end of the day, who, like the Dana Gould thing is the perfect example. They're look the people hiring you have to spend copious amounts of time with you. Yeah. Where would if you're an asshole? Where is that going to get you? Yeah. Yeah. And to define what what's asshole behavior. I mean, in this particular person's case, but I think this is pretty universal, it's just such arrogance and making everyone around you feel less than you. Mm. Like, you're, like, I'm really great. You're lucky to be in my presence. You're, no, you're nothing. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, like, I don't know. I think we have examples of that working for people in the past. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that some people think that's like a viable approach, but I do yeah. think the world is changing. Right. And we are starting to be like, mm, actually, no, being an asshole is not like, it doesn't make you smarter or more creative or a better director or a better writer or whatever. I think like in the past we've been like, Oh, all these greats have been assholes. So great people are assholes. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think that's how he specifically him looked at it but um mm -hmm. i think the part that he's missing though is that even the assholes that we point at they didn't start by like putting down the people hiring them you know like um they worked their way up to being assholes <laughs> yes yes they are they're assholes by proxy they're assholes through experience um, yeah, yeah, that that's good. That's well, great advice. Awesome. But it, yeah. yeah, that's the biggest advice. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be an asshole. It's, I think um, a good mantra for people to kind of keep yeah. in mind. Don't and remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, Candice. It was so awesome having you come on today, Candice. It was so cool having you come on today to get to talk to you. Really excited to see it. Like. Kind of what you do going forward you're somebody who i see is having a very like cool comedy career trajectory where like i i fully believe in you that you're going to accomplish your your goals because you have that sort of that sort of mind and you know that determination and belief in yourself that like you need to have and you know it's you inspire me all the time with your hard work and you know great attitude so thank you Thank you. Yeah, I'm, uh, do you have, um, I know we're coming out of a freaking pandemic, so, you know, there's not a lot going on, but do you have something going on or that you're working on right now? Um, currently, I am a producer on a web series called Hanging with Dr. Z. Oh, that's right. Yes, we brought that up at the beginning. What's, uh, and it's starring Dana Gould? It is. It's Dana Gould as Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas is uh, Planet of the Apes, right? Correct. Yes. So Dana Gould is basically like a savant when it comes to Planet of the Apes. He's like the ultimate Planet of the Apes nerd. And he started doing these live appearances as Dr. Zayas for different things like Turner Classic Movies would hire him to do this. 
So over COVID, uh, he and a bunch of his friends were kind of like, let's do something with this. And so they made this web series where he's like this 1970s talk show host. Like it's very, uh, I'm trying to think what the word I'm looking for is. It's very 1970s. Kitschy. Yeah, kitschy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they interview current day guests as themselves. But it's in this like 1970s kitsch um, with Dr. Zayas as the host. <laughs> I, everybody should go check that out because it really is. It's really funny. Um, and you get some great guests for sure. It's great. Um, thank you. Yeah. Candice, thank you again so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you again so much to Candice for being here on the podcast today. It was so great to talk to her. Yes, it was. You can catch Hanging with Dr. Z on YouTube and check out Candace's great work uh, from Fembot PhD on YouTube as well. Uh, I think she also has a TikTok and an Instagram. Um, go look her up. She's great. And if you enjoyed this podcast, if you like what you heard, you want to support us and the network that we're on, we're just going to talk to you for a minute here about our Patreon. Uh, yes, we are the Period Podcast Network. We are a network made by She's and They's for everyone. And it's really cool. We're all working together. And the concept behind our network is that everybody, every single podcast that's on the network, we all kind of get paid the same. We are all working together to build up uh, build up each podcast like high tides, raise all ships. Uh, but we need your support in order to do that. <laughs> Kate, tell us a little bit about some of the podcasts that you can see on the Period Podcast Network. Oh my gosh, just so many great podcasts, starting with Tinseltown Tea, which is a movie review and Hollywood gossip podcast. There's Comadres y Comics, which is a podcast that highlights the Latinx community in comic book culture. There's Yes, a Stripper, a podcast about strippers and sex workers and interviews with people in those industries and their allies. There's Girl Boner, which is a health and sexuality and empowerment podcast. Elaine's Cooking for the Soul, which is a post-apocalyptic cooking podcast hosted in a dentist's office. Yes, it's very exciting. And we have a Patreon. Uh, We'd love uh, to see your support if we could. Uh, Because, you know, the best way to support is not only just to listen and to appreciate and share, but also, you know, share some of the if you got it and our price is not high for five dollars a month you can get um ex- uh, you get an exclusive zine that is created by all of the uh all of the participants on the network uh, we're creating some really cool artwork some articles some poetry it's really really neat and then at ten dollars a month you can uh you'll get exclusive bonus content from each of the uh each of the podcasts. Uh, it's very exciting. There's also a bigger option for like a group Zoom that's like $20. And we highly suggest that because we're all very fun people. So check it out. If you support uh, marginalized voices in podcasting, if you feel like there should be more of them, which you should, guilt, 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 uh, check out all of the podcasts on the network. You can go to periodpodcastnetwork.com. Uh, you can also find a link to our Patreon there. Thank you so much uh, for joining us again. And if you can, please support the network and support as much as you can women in podcasting and women in in comedy um, and women in all things. The Comedy Girl Crush Podcast.